I want to welcome Kyler to the stage. Hey, buddy. Hey, man. Kyler is our guest preacher for today, and uh, I'm not going to do too much of an intro for him. Kyler is uh, kind of a, ho- a homegrown boy here in uh, Mount Vernon. Uh, I'm the transplant, so I came in and met Kyler early on uh, in his young life. And oh, yeah. I'm excited to get to welcome him to the stage because as a preacher and as a teacher, he's in school right now to teach. Are you not? I am. Oh, man. I'm going to learn something Pretty today. Pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, he is a gifted communicator, and we're excited to hear his heart and his walk with Christ. And I would love for him. I'm, I'm so glad that you get to hear uh, what he's going to share with you today. So would you give a warm welcome to Kyler? Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. I'm so glad that you're all here today uh, on your holiday weekend and with the floods and all the other craziness that has happened. Um, I'm super stoked to be here. And by stoked, I mean a little bit terrified still. I mean, I've talked up here before, but (laughs) I talked to Trevor before this, and he said, it doesn't get any easier. It's always (laughs) nerve-wracking. I couldn't do that. (laughs) That's too much. Too much every Sunday. I hope you guys were able to make it out last week and just get to hear Jesse preach. And he talked about legacy. I don't feel, I feel like there's nothing quite as powerful as watching someone living out exactly what they're preaching. So it was just so inspiring getting to listen to Jesse last week talk about legacy, talking about how we as Christians, we as Jesus followers, leave a legacy. And I think that's something this church is great. This church is great at doing is leaving a legacy. It's definitely, it's impacted my life so much, so much. It's the reason that I want to become a teacher because I'm one of the junior high youth group leaders and just getting to make an impact on kids' lives every single day, hopefully in good ways, most of the time it is, but making an impact on their lives is just, it's so rewarding. And uh, guys, I've been coming to youth group here since I was in seventh grade. That was a long time ago. That was Trevor's first year. And see, we were over in the big room at the daycare at this time. Do you know how many of us there was? There was seven. From seventh grade to seniors in high school, there was seven of us. Has anyone been in here on a Wednesday night recently? We have 40 junior hires alone. The last couple times we met, we had to use the sanctuary to teach our lessons. It's, oh my goodness, it's just crazy awesome to get to see just this, the legacy that this church is leaving. Uh, so before I jump into my sermon, uh, would you guys pray with me? Dear God, thank you for who you are, God. Thank you for always being there for word with uh, an open mind and an open heart, God. Uh, let us take this, let's take your words outside of these walls, Lord and just be a light for you, and bring others to know you. God, we love you. It's your name I pray. Amen. All right, guys. So today, what I want to talk about is this question. It's kind of an, an age-old question, maybe. Maybe you've asked it uh, yourself. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? You see, sometimes it can be small, frustrating things. Does anyone else in here have road rage? Or is it just me? It's just me. My wife will agree with this. I, yeah, I terrify her sometimes with my driving. But it seems it's always, it's always on a Sunday after church, right? It's like I hit every stoplight in town. Some moron's driving 25 and a 35. And it's like, are you already trying to make me stumble? I just left church. I'm a good person, right? Why do, bad, why do these things happen to me? 
golly. But sometimes it can be more serious things that make us ask this question of why do bad things happen to good people. It's not curable. Maybe it could be a death in the family that came too soon. Maybe it could be a broken family. And you should ask, why is this happening? I go to church every Sunday. I tithe. I'm part of a connect group. God, I feel like I'm living out your calling in my life. Why is this happening? Why do bad things happen to good people? So we're going to try to find the answer to this question today. It's a hard question to ask. It really is. So for that, we're going to be turning to the book of Job. And see, Job, Job's a pretty cool guy, all right? So starting off, Job, this story's going to take place in the land of Uz, which the Bible says is a long ways from Israel. And Job has a wife and seven sons and three daughters. Do you guys like my PowerPoint? Can you tell I'm going to be a teacher? Like, he's killing it. Okay, anyways. He's got a wife, seven sons, and three daughters. So he's got a big family. All right? On top of all that, he's got 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys. So I feel like it's needless to say that Job is by far the wealthiest man in this land of ooze. Also, if that's not all great enough, Job is blameless, righteous, and honors God. That's not self-proclaimed. That's God talking. That's what God says about Job. God says that Job is blameless, righteous, and honors God. All right, so now we're going we're gonna to jump ahead. So, you know, Job's living, he's living his best life out there, looking over all his animals. And one thing I forgot to mention is, see, Job is so cool that every morning he would wake up early and he would sacrifice an animal for every one of his kids just in case they sinned against God in their heart. That's craziness. If my mom thought my brother and I were acting up whenever we were younger, she just got the wooden spoon out. So she didn't have to kill nothing. Maybe it's, I don't know. There might not have been wooden spoons around back then. Who knows? So fast forward. There's, we're going to fast, we're going to jump in to this heavenly meeting, okay? Where God's meeting with his heavenly council. And he's just bragging on Job. He's like, man, this guy is awesome. He's blameless. He's righteous. He honors me in everything that he does. And then this other guy shows up. And his name is the Satan. All right, see, this might be a little different than how you heard this story. It's different than how I heard Like, that was Satan, if you've heard the story of Job before, right? But no, the Satan, it's actually a Hebrew word, and it stands for accuser or prosecutor. So he's not the devil. He's just someone in God's heavenly counsel that's playing the devil's advocate. See, God doesn't even surround himself with a bunch of yes men, right? I think that's pretty cool. He says to God, well, of course he's going to honor you in everything he does. Look at all the things you've given him. If he didn't have all this stuff, he wouldn't honor you. So God says, all right, 
Let's see. And so Job's out one day working in his fields, and one of, them, one of his servants comes up to him. He said, Job, one of the surrounding armies has taken, he's killed all the other servants, and he's taken all your oxen. And then it just keeps going for all the other animals. A servant keeps coming up to him. Oh, this army's taken all these animals. And then the last servant comes, and he says, Job, all your kids were eating at the oldest brother's house, and a mighty wind knocked the house down with them inside of it. And Job, in that instant, he loses everything. He doesn't have anything. All the things that God had blessed him with have been taken away in that moment. My response wouldn't be good to this, but Job's response, this is powerful. Job 1, 20, 21 says this. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Man, that's crazy. To go through all that and still praise God, praise God in the storm, right? That's awesome. So after this, we're going to jump back up into the heavenly realms again. And God's looking at the Satan. He's like, yeah, that's right. That's my boy. Look at him. He killed it. And he goes, well, of course he did. Anyone can do that as long as they have their health. If you take his health, he's not going to be the same way. So Job loses his health. He gets sick, and he gets covered in these boils from the, foot, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And this happened, and Job just falls in the ash, takes a piece of broken pottery, and he, just, he scrapes these nasty boils. So there he is, oozing and ooze. <laughs> no. Nope, that was bad. So what does, so what happens next? Job's wife, she's still around. She made it. She made it through this, okay? Here's what she asks him. Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. That is not a supportive spouse. That is not good. He just lost 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys, his kids, and his health, but he couldn't lose this cow. <laughs> like, all these other animals are gone. Couldn't lose this one. Guys, I'm heated. I talked to my wife about this. I was like, I don't know how to say appropriately how much I don't like that. <laughs> I figured it out. I think we're good. So she didn't do well. Job's three friends show up. Okay? Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar. They meant really well, but they are not the brightest people. All right, see, here's what they did good. They knew Job was suffering. So they came to see him. 
And he was so messed up. He was so sick, so covered in these boils and stuff that he was unrecognizable. And when they got there, they just sat with Job and they cried. And no one said anything for seven days. I mean, talk about the power of just being with someone. See, next, after this, they tell Job, after the seven days, say, Job, you must have done something wrong for this to be happening. This is your fault. What'd you do? This starts an argument, a chain of arguments, where Job keeps going back and forth with his three friends here. They're accusing him of something, and Job's saying, no, I didn't do this. This is, this is why this is happening. This is what's going on. God has a plan still. I'm trusting God. But like I said, that goes on for 30 chapters. And nothing seems to be getting any better for Job. And he stays strong through all of these arguments that he's having. But just as not getting these doubts in his head. And I think this is the question that he starts asking himself is can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? I think there's three main parts to this question of can God be trusted that Job is asking himself that's going through his mind. The first one is this. Can God be trusted when those nearest to us forsake us? So his wife says, curse God and die. Literally, it's supposed to be like your best friend, right? Someone who God put in your life. That's frustrating, right? You feel like God put these people in your life, and they're just bringing you down. Look at Job's friends. You did this, so you have to figure it out. You did this, you have to figure it out. That's definitely the gospel, right? They're definitely, you know, being a good example of the gospel. No. And guys, this is something that we say here at church, at Kingsway, a lot, and something where we always try to drill into the head of all the kids in our youth group, and it's the important future. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Something that, that's exactly how Jesse said it last week. He said, if you want to be a rose gardener, you hang out with rose gardeners. If you want to be a Christ follower, surround yourself with Christ followers. So that's the first one. Can God be trusted when those nearest to us forsake us? The second, can God be trusted when stuff out of our control happens? So we just saw it happen just now, right? Job lost everything. And that's, really, that's especially frustrating whenever you're doing what God asks you, but things still aren't going your way. That can be crazy, crazy frustrating. Like, man, anyone that's in school, I just studied so hard for that test. Why did I get a D? Or, man, I've been working so hard. Why didn't I get that promotion? It's really tough. And I stumbled upon this quote earlier this week. And I feel like it really speaks into this. It says, our feelings aren't evidence of the presence of God. 
Our feelings aren't evidence of the presence of God. No matter if, it's, if things are going super good, like things were going for Job at the start of this story, or, or if you've just lost everything, if nothing's going your way, the presence of God never changes. That's number two. Can God be trusted when stuff out of our control happens? And the third one, can God be trusted when our own heart starts doubting God? That's, a, that's an easy trap to fall into, especially when things aren't going your way. And up until this point, Job had it. He was good. He was good. But he starts to stumble too. Job 30, 20 to 23 says this. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storms. I know you will bring me down to death, to the place anointed for all the living. So Job's in a pretty rough spot right there. Not only is he in a rough spot, he goes and pulls this stunt. He demands God come down and explain himself. Dummy, don't do that. Don't demand God to do something. That's not going to go your way. He should, he should have asked politely, maybe. All right, and then maybe he would have just floated down and they would have had well, that would be stupid. He demands God to come down and explain himself. So, God says, your wish is my command. And he speaks to Job through a storm. All right, I feel like maybe we know too well how crazy a storm can be in the recent events that we've had. So, God's going to speak to Job through a storm. And this is what I like to call God's mic drop moment, because he's about to drop some truth bombs. And I know this is really small, because I don't know why, because I'm not good at PowerPoints. <laughs> Sorry. I'll read it, though. It says, Job 38 is where it starts. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, this, who is this? that obscures my plans with words without knowledge. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Watch out. Listen to this. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footing, on what were its footing set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud, wall, proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it. The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and the upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vastness of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. 
What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you, are already, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. That's like holy sarcasm right there. That's what that is. God's sarcastic. Don't feel bad about it if you're kind of sarcastic. Have you entered the storehouse way to the place where the lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? For whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? Can you bind the chains of the plates? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Did they report to you, here we are? Who gives us, who gives the abyss wisdom or gives the rooster understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie and wait in a thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? I didn't even read all of this. Asking questions to Job just like this. So you guys, you guys have all heard, you've heard the story of Job before. At the end of the story, Job gets everything in return, like twofold, like twice as much as he had before. But you see, that's not, that's not what we're looking at today. Let's go back to the question from earlier. Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. Job doesn't know. Have a good Sunday. No. Job doesn't answer this for us. And I'm definitely not going to be able to answer this for us. But in Job 42.3, I won't have it on the screen, he said this, Who is this that obscures my plans without... You asked... Who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Things too wonderful for me to know. See, we're unable to truly comprehend the vastness of God's knowledge and his plan for our lives. See, these bad things that happen, they're oftentimes really uncomfortable. And I preached a sermon a couple years ago about you'll never experience what true faith is until you get outside of your comfort zone. But see, I want you to hear this. Discomfort is the first and greatest, discomfort is the first and greatest test of our faith. And maybe that's the answer we're looking for today because 
So we're never gonna get to experience this full life in God inside of our comfort zone. I didn't mention this earlier, but I feel like it's really important. The book of Job happens to be the oldest book in the Bible. I didn't know this before I studied and got ready for this, but the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. And isn't it crazy to think that this book, the very first book that was written, has to do with someone who was blameless, righteous, and honored God in everything they did, and they suffered for it. Can you think of any, anywhere else in the Bible that we might see that? A story about someone who is blameless, honored God and everything they did. And see, what I couldn't get over when I was studying this was how in the very first, the very first written, in this, written story in the Bible, Job, you see someone who God considers perfect suffering. Now fast forward to the book of Matthew and you find Jesus Christ the Son of God who is perfect and blameless. And he suffered on the cross for you and me so that we could just have the chance to experience this full life in him. Guys, we're not perfect. Yet, we've been given everything. We're not perfect. And God's still given us everything. Kind of the mindset, and this is <laughs> a hard mindset to have, but think about this. Even if God doesn't do another thing for me for the rest of my life, he's already done enough. He's already given us everything. You see, if people like Job, people like Jesus suffered, you don't you think we might suffer too, maybe? People who aren't perfect? Not easy. It's never easy but he promises that it's going to be worth it. And my point's this. If you guys hear nothing else or don't take anything else out of this, I want you to hear this. Your pain has a purpose. The pain you experience has a purpose. And it's hard to see sometimes, but that's when trusting God's plan for your life comes into play. Just like Job came to realize we don't truly know the vastness of God's wisdom and his plan for our life. So guys, here's my challenge for you. My challenge for you this week, what I want to finish with, is this. Trust God in the uncomfortable times in life and watch how your faith grows. Trust God in the uncomfortable times in your life and just sit back and watch how your faith grows. If you guys would, pray with me.